Thank you for tuning in to the Verb Church podcast. For more information about Verb Church, you can go to myverb.church. Now, here's Pastor Shane Tarpley with today's message. three of our Family Matters series. Come on, I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope it's been inspiring you. I hope it's been challenging you to get out beyond the barriers of your own walls and the walls that keep us contained here in our, in our own self-righteousness and our own ways of doing things to get out and, and push the boundaries of, of really kind of where God wants to take us and making disciples. Amen. And so I hope that it's really, it's really challenged you more than anything, because to be able to make disciples and, and to be able to, to go out and, and get people, as the Bible says, and bring them in really takes us out of a, a level of comfort that we like to stay in, right? We all like to stay in this area of comfort where it's us for and no more. And we all like to kind of kind of just dwell and kind of sleep and stay in the places that we've always known. But I believe that God is calling us to do so much more and to go so much further than where we are right now. As a church, as individuals, as a body of believers, the big C church, not just Verve Church, that is time to push past the boundaries. So in week one, we talked about how to make disciples. And in week two, we talked about some practical ways of how to make those disciples by just really learning how to share your story or tell your testimony, right? And so I hope that you found an opportunity to do that this week. I hope that God presented you with an opportunity to to just start really sharing your story because that's all it's about. I told you last week that you only need two tools in your tool belt to be able to make disciples, and that's salvation and your story, and that's it. So today I kind of felt the Lord leading me in a different place, and we spent the better part of January in a series called Didn't See It Coming, and I heard a lot of great testimonies of people that getting set free and learning some new things about how to, how to really be aware of the things that they aren't aware of. And so I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that if you didn't or watch that. But today I want to kind of kind of piggyback on that concept, but still stay in our Family Matters series and and bringing you a subject called Nosy Neighbors. (laughs) Nosy Neighbors. Now, show of hands, how many of you guys currently have or have ever experienced a nosy neighbor? If your hand's not raised, you probably are that neighbor. Yeah, I'm just kidding. We, I think we've all experienced in some form or another a, a nosy neighbor. Somebody that when you walk outside, you can feel their piercing glances at you. You can, you can see and, and, and experience. You can just feel them glaring at you and knowing your every step. And, and so, you know, now we call it stalking. But, but way back when, it was okay to be a nosy neighbor. Like, I remember we lived in this subdivision one time, and, and it felt like every time we stepped out of our front door, everybody around us knew what we were doing. And we were probably the noisiest people on in our subdivision because we lived in townhomes. And, and, you know, they're all connected, and, and we got kids. We got small kids growing up. And I just felt like, man, everybody knows our business. Everybody knows what we're doing. And so... The thing about this this nosy neighbor concept is sometimes 
when we feel invaded and, and we feel like our privacy and our space and all that is being infringed upon by somebody knowing our business, it's not always a bad thing. Like sometimes God may be sending a nosy neighbor to put their nose in your business because, they're, because God is trying to use them to pull you out of a place that you've always been comfortable being in, holding you accountable. But, but, this, but being a nosy neighbor is not going to be what you think, all right? It's not always a bad thing. So I want you to look at your, I want to look at your neighbor. Look at him right now. Say, neighbor, it's time for you to let me in. Now look at your other neighbor, your second choice. Tell him the same thing. Say, let me in. Let me in. All right. I want to look at Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Talk about nosy neighbors here. You're going to read this and be like, what in the world? All right, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, or that he had silenced the Sadducees, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus. All right, Jesus was in a theological or doctrinal or uh, spiritual debate with the Sadducees, who, you know, really is kind of like a lower level Pharisee. They kind of have some degree, they have some concept, they have a, um, some knowledge of some theological practices and religion. And so when the Pharisees, we'll call them the big brother, when the Pharisees heard, that's exactly what it says, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They came running. They came running. They're like, oh, no, no. You done hurt my little brother's feelings. It's on today. I got you, Jesus. I'm taking you down, okay? That's what, they're, that's, that's what it's the, the whole concept here. It says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? All right, so basically they're saying, all right, Jesus, if you're so good, if you're the son of God, if you're so high and mighty, if you're so spiritual, if you're so in tune to the God that we know, that we teach people about, which one of these commandments is the greatest? Like if you had to, to nail to the wall a 30-second elevator speech to convince me on the proper way to live my life, tell me what it would be. So they're trying to trip him. They're trying to trap him. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord. I love this because when you're reading this, it seems like there is no hesitation whatsoever. It seems like Jesus just instinctively, I'm just waiting for you to get the question out so I can answer you. You ever talk to people like that? Like they already had the answer before you even talked to them, before you even asked the question? Yeah, those people are annoying. <laughs> Like, you ain't listening to me, but that's another sermon. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The first, this is the first and greatest commandment, but a second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. All right, so let's break open some context around this. So these scriptures right here 
are really about separating religion from relationship. Now, at this point, Jesus and the Pharisees have been back and forth in a battle. It had almost been like a battle of wit and wisdom, back and forth all day. They're just, Jesus just churning out question, answer right after the other. Boom, 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 boom. The Pharisees are trying to stump Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him in a predicament to where he can just basically go, whoops. He could just basically go, you know what, guys? I really don't know. I don't know the answer to this. That's what they're looking for. But finally, I don't know if you've ever been in like a job interview or something like that where it feels like it lasts for hours on end. And you're thinking, man, how much more can they possibly question me? I have given them every answer I possibly know, right? And so this is the Pharisees right here. They're like, listen, they're starting to lose a little bit of steam with Jesus because he just, boom, one right after the other, question, answer, answer, answer. And he's not stumped at all, obviously, because he's the son of God. And, and so then the Pharisees are like, all right, here it goes, guys. Here it goes. We're going to push all of our chips to the center of the table. We're going to go all in on this question right here. We're going to bank everything we have on stumping Jesus on this one question. Jesus, which one of the commandments is the greatest? Everything that's in the Bible, nail it down to one 30-second elevator speech. Which one is it? And so Matthew is saying right here that this lawyer's intent is to test Jesus. Is to test Jesus. And this word test in the Greek is pirazo. Pirazo, all right? I'm probably butchering that, but don't send me an email. Pirazo, all right? We saw this word, if you look back a few chapters earlier at the beginning of Matthew in chapter 4, 1 through 11, we, we're, we're talking about the temptation story in chapter 4. And this word test, tempt, and tempter in chapter 4 is all the same word. It's all the same purazo. So in this gospel, in Matthew's gospel, only the devil, listen to this, only the devil and the Pharisees, purazo Jesus, uses the same word. Only the devil tempts Jesus and only the Pharisees test Jesus, but the same word in the Greek is the exact same. Here's the difference. Pharisees, Pirazo, Jesus. The difference between someone who, who honestly gives you a test, come on, shout out to all the teachers, is because they want to see you succeed. They test your knowledge of how much you've retained because they want to see you succeed. But, the, but when you flip the script and go to the word test and Pirazo or tempt, the only job of a tempter is to see you fail. They don't care how much you know. They're just trying to see what you don't know or how well they can trip you up, okay? So here this lawyer is clearly hoping for Jesus to fail, right? And so this lawyer says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the lawyer calls Jesus the teacher, which seems like a term of respect, like, okay, well, we're at least going to acknowledge the fact that you are a rabbi, that you're a teacher, but that's not his intent, his intent right here when he says teacher isn't to recognize Jesus as someone superior. His whole intent is to disarm the crowd by making him seem less harmful than he really is. Like, oh, well, at least he respects who Jesus is in position, right? No, no, no. He's just playing the game. So he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? 
So his whole intent is to disarm and embarrass Jesus with these questions. He says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this isn't what you need to know. This is not an unusual question for them to be asking Jesus. In fact, rabbis up until this point have all asked their students, disciples, and other teachers this same question all throughout Scripture. The problem is not the question, but the spirit in which the question is asked. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not what you say, but what? How you say it. Come on, somebody. Some marriage is getting set free right now. (laughs) The Old Testament has 613 commandments in it. And there is no way, no clear standard for judging which is the greatest. Regardless of Jesus' answer, the lawyer can respond with further questions designed to put Jesus on the defensive or cause him to make a mistake. Now, in this thing where, where Jesus actually gives the answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we see what Jesus, what, what Jesus is implying here. He says, you shall love the Lord, what? Your God. Not just love the Lord God. Not just in a generic sense. But he says, you shall love the Lord your God. Making it personal. Saying, listen... You belong to God. You belong to something bigger, someone greater. And not only do you belong to him, but he belongs to you. It's a personal relationship. So it's not just some arbitrary higher being that you're aspiring to worship. It is your God. And if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you can't say he's my God. But he wants you to be able to say that. And so he's, he's saying it, you, have, you must love the Lord, your God. And that word love in this sense is where we get our word translated from agape or agapeo, which is a godly type of love, which literally means unconditional love. An unconditional love. He says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We also see a sense in this in Matthew 7, 12, where it says, Therefore, whatever you desire for men to do to you, you shall also do to them, for this is the law of the prophets, all right? So you get the golden rule there. But by calling us, listen, by calling us to love our neighbor, Jesus particularizes what love really is. He doesn't want us just to have this generic kind of love that goes on to everybody. Like, you know, when your kids are growing up and they're like, man, I hate so-and-so. And you're like, no, honey, we don't hate. We love everybody. We just don't like them. Come on, y'all know y'all have said it to your kids. And, that, and what that is, is we don't know it, but what that is, is it's teaching our kids and us that it's okay to have a generalized kind of love. It's okay to not make love personal. It's okay to just love everybody. And that's, in a sense, that's what we're called to do. But I believe that Jesus wants us to drill down a little deeper because here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. It's so much easier to love someone you don't know. You're like, well, what? That, think about it. 
We stand up and talk about giving to a third world mission, supporting a missionary. Oh, we're going we're gonna to support this mission. We're going to send money to Haiti. We're going to send money to this and this and this. Oh, I can get behind that because I have no connection with them. I don't know them. I'm going to just pass the buck on to them. Or, hey, there's flood relief going on. We're going to take up an offering, pop a, bu- pop, a, pop a dollar in the bucket, and move on. And it's so easy to have such a generalized kind of love. But what happens when the Lord calls you to love your neighbor who starts his lawnmower? Come on. At nine o'clock at night or seven in the morning when you're supposed to be sleeping on a Saturday and you're irritated and twitching. Or what happens when the Lord calls you to love that coworker? That's always up in your business, telling on you, finding your mistakes when you're a minute late and letting the boss know, oh, you were late today. Or what happens when the Lord calls you to love your neighbor that you've been feuding with? Come on. Preaching better than y'all letting on. (laughs) So I want to focus in this one place of this passage in particular where Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The question is, how do you start to do that? How do you start to do that? I want to ask you this question. And I hope this question stays with you for the rest of the week. If you loved your neighbor as yourself in your current condition, how well would your neighbor be loved? I just want to let that sit for a minute. Because it's easy to say that we love God, and you probably do. But God chooses to use us. He chooses to use other people to love others around us, to love ourselves. And I'm not talking about a self-love that this world has created where you say, I deserve a spa day and I'm going to, bless God, I'm going to go out and get my feet done. I'm going to get my nails done. I'm going to get my hair did. I'm going to get me a massage. I'm going to go out and buy me a new car. I'm going to get me a new house. I'm going to get me a new outfit, make myself feel better. I'm not talking about that kind of self-love. I'm talking about loving yourself as Christ loves you. That when you make a mistake, that you don't beat yourself in the ground. That when you mess up, that it's not the end of the world. And you let yourself know that just because I made a mistake, what God did over 2,000 years ago makes me still his child. And there is nothing, the Bible says, that can separate me from the love of Christ. It's the love that we get, this word agape that I talked about earlier, that literally means unconditional love. So let me ask you. Do you unconditionally love who you are? All right, so watch this. Most of us can't love someone else unconditionally because we've not fully learned to love ourselves the way Christ does. See, we've got to learn how to accept the love that penetrates your deepest, darkest worries and your fears and a love that is truly unconditional. I tell people this all the time, and I truly mean it when I talk to you, that you're doing better than you think you are. But the problem is we walk around beating ourselves up, and because we have beat ourselves up so well, we are so good at beating ourselves up. Can you imagine what God sees and what God hears and what God thinks and experiences and feels when he sees his children walking around going, man, I'm no good. 
I'm not worthy for this. I can't accomplish this. I can't do this. I'm not good enough for this. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know why, God, you put me in this position. You know I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not smart enough to do this. And God is up there going, I don't know where you're getting all this from because when I created you, I created you in the likeness of who I am. I better stop bouncing. But you've got to learn to love who you are first. You've got to learn to accept who you are in Christ. That's why we can't love our neighbors unconditionally because we can't love ourselves like that. Because we don't, we don't accept who we are. We don't accept who Christ created in us. The Bible says that, that the hope of glory, Christ in you, is the hope of glory. Somebody else's hope is completely reliant on you realizing that you love yourself as Christ loves you. But we can't bring the hope because we can't find hope in ourselves. And so we love people with emotional baggage. We keep them at a distance. And we love people with a jaded, cynical love that will never truly allow us to let them in. And see, I think a lot of us have learned how to over-spiritualize our situations to the point where we're so good at keeping people at a distance and we call it discernment, but really it's nothing more than distrust. You know what I'm saying? You can't love people enough to let them into your life because you've not dealt with your own trust issues. You say you trust God, and that's probably true, but God chooses to work through people. And when you stop trusting the people that God has put in your life to make you better, you stop trusting God. And you look at every confrontation and every conviction with resentment. You won't ever learn to love others until you can start to let them in. I'm going to keep saying it until we surrender to it. Because we say that we love people. We say that we love God, but we don't trust anybody. Well, well, you don't know what they've done to me. I understand that. We've all been through some stuff, and I feel like I'm just getting real practical here. We've all been through stuff. We've all experienced hurt from so many other people in our life. But guys, church, if we don't stop letting the hurt keep us from being healed, we can't bring hope to anybody else. You got to learn to let people love you. You got to learn to let people love you. I feel like telling someone right now that your victory won't come until you start to listen to God's voice. But the voice might not come from who or what or the way you expect it to come from. And if we're truly going to be on mission together, making a difference in our communities, we've got to surrender our pride and our trust issues and start to truly come together and stop keeping each other at a distance. And that starts by learning how to truly do life together. Like that's why we have connect groups. That's that's the whole basis of why we have connect groups, church, is so that we can learn to do life together. But if you're sitting in a connect group, and you won't let yourself be vulnerable to the people around you to help speak life in back into you when you're feeling dead on the inside, then it's nothing more than a social gathering. If you're, if you're not willing to do life with the people that God has put around you, and this is not about going out and getting people today. This is about letting people into your life because we would rather be so active 
outside the church because it keeps us too busy to let people into our life. But I'm trying to encourage you today. I know it may not sound like it, but I really am trying to encourage you today that if you don't learn to let people love you and let people into your life, you're just going to keep shutting people out. And the more you keep shutting people out, the more you keep shutting God out. Well, Shane, if God wants to speak to me, he will. Yeah, I know, but I'm reminded of that old elementary story that preachers used to tell all the time, you know, dudes out there drowning hurricane waters and everything, praying, Lord, help me, rescue me, rescue me, sends a boat, sends a helicopter, sends this and this, and all of a sudden he dies, gets to heaven, said, Lord, I prayed you didn't send nobody. He said, I sent you this and this and this, but you didn't want it that way. See, we, we preferential God in the way that we want him to give his promises to us, but God doesn't work that way. God said, hey, I'm going to send you somebody that is the least likeliest of persons. They probably get on your nerves every day you go to work. But today I'm going to speak through them to get into you. And see, we walk around. We're so afraid of being judged. We're so afraid of people using our past against us. But I need to tell someone right now that the last time I checked, Hebrews 12 and 2 said that Jesus was the author and the finisher of my faith. Nobody else. I don't need to please anybody else, but I do need to learn to let people into my life. I don't need to walk around being afraid of being judged. But I do need to understand that not everybody is out to get me. And there are some people who do genuinely care for me and want to see me grow. John 15 and 3 talks about how God gets the glory when we bear much fruit. And when we bear much fruit, we become Jesus' disciples. And our one job description as believers is to make disciples so that we can conclude that the fruit of our labor is the disciples that we make. So if we're truly going to be fruitful in our faith, we've got to start loving people past their problems and loving them as we love ourselves and loving ourselves as Christ loves us. And that means, here I'm going to help somebody, knowing that we are loved unconditionally by Jesus himself. And learning, first and foremost, to let Jesus into our life. And I'm convinced that the number one reason that we can't let people into our life and therefore we don't let Jesus into our life. Yes, it's because of trust issues, but go deeper than that, it's because of pride. And pride is the number one enemy of believers. Pride won't let you get to the promise. Pride will keep you buried in the prison, surrounded by chains. And some of us have so much pride and we think we're going towards the promise but we hadn't got out of the bondage, not one second. And I feel the Lord saying, if you would just lay down your pride and start to learn how to trust people and stop filtering everything through a bad experience because I'm bringing new people. If God can do a new thing in you from the moment that you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, what makes you think that he can't do a new thing in somebody else that's speaking to you? Well, Shane, you don't know what they were like in high school. You don't know how bad they were addicted to drugs or how much they partied. That may very well be so, but I've graduated with some people and I've grown up with some people and I have matured with some people that used to be like that but now they have gained some crown in Christ and they are able to speak things into me that I never thought they would be able to say but we can't hold people captive because if we keep people 
bound down from their destiny, we're no bigger or no better than the devil. Kind of like this, this open door here. We're going to pray, Lord, just keep it up. <laughs> you see, a door is, is a mechanism or a gateway. And at nighttime, we lock our doors because we go to sleep and we're unaware of what's going on around us. And we feel safer with locked doors when we're asleep. Come on, y'all ain't getting there. We feel safer with locked doors when we're asleep. And that's why most of us in our situation would rather just lock the door altogether than to open it whenever somebody comes knocking. I want you to understand something. The only way for somebody to come into your life is you letting them. No one is going to bust through and barge through the door of your life uninvited. Some people may feel like it, but nobody is truly going to add value to you unless you give them permission to. Even the well-intended people, even me, I can't, I can't add anything to your life. I can't keep speaking life and adding value and making deposits in your life unless you allow them to sink in. Unless you allow them to come in. But see, for most of us, it's so much easier just to slam the door shut and lock it and keep everybody out than to take a chance of getting hurt again. But church, listen. The only way that we're going to grow as believers, the only way that we're going to get spiritually mature is if we start learning to open the door. Is when we start learning how to go, oh, hey, I know I had a bad experience with this person before, but today is a different day. Today is a different day. And I think about when somebody comes to our door. A lot of times we keep our doors closed because we don't want anybody to see what's going on on the inside. And I love what Revelation 3.20 says. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. What does that imply? That implies that Jesus is not going to come in like a SWAT team and bust your door down. That implies that Jesus is just politely going to hey, say, hey, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. And I don't know if you're like us, but, you know, sometimes, not, not when y'all, but like, you know, when like the, the mail people come or FedEx or UPS or whatever, they come in and they ring your doorbell and you're just like, shh, don't move. And we got curtains on our side glasses, you know, so we're like trying to figure out, oh, that's just FedEx, okay. You know what we're doing? We're filtering everything. We're filtering everybody that comes to our threshold. And it'd just be better to close the door and be quiet than to open the door and actually have a conversation with somebody. And Jesus says, look, The New King James translation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
I love this next part. It says, if you hear my voice and actually open the door. He said, if you hear my voice. So first of all, you got to recognize that it's Jesus. And some of us, I said last week, are so spiritually minded, so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, because what we're looking for is we're looking for Jesus himself to be in our threshold and go, my child, I have come for you. But Jesus might just be sending me to your house. And I don't talk like that. I come up in there and go, hey, what's up? How y'all doing? I'm loud. I'm boisterous. I'm looking for a party to happen. You're going to ask Cindy and Stacy when we go to their house, that's the way I come in. Hey, what's up? Or you might have somebody like my wife come to your house and you think they're at home? Yeah, they're at home. Oh, hey, how are y'all? It's so good to see y'all. Oh, your house is so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I just love this. You might get all kind of different people that come in your house. But if you keep the door shut, you won't ever experience what God really wants to do in your life. Because it's so easy and so comfortable to just close things out. So easy to close it out. But then watch this, watch this. He says, if you hear my voice and actually open the door, I will come in. In, in other words, Jesus is not looking for you to stand in the threshold and go, hey, you know how y'all do. You still still open the door, but you don't want him to come in. So you're going to stand in the way? Uh, yeah, look what Jesus said. He said, you hear my voice and you open the door, I'm going to come in. And then he says, and we will, not me, but we. Come on, we need to get that in our vocabulary. And we will share a meal together as friends. Woo! Come on, brother. Come on. Yes. And those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. I'm getting excited now. Y'all stand up. Come on. Before this door falls over. <laughs> I love how God speaks to us. He says, listen, you hear my voice. You open the door. I'm coming in and we're going to share a meal together as friends and then he goes on to say those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches listen forever going to be a church that is not against you but is always for you just like the Bible tells us that God is. God is not for you. He is, he, um, God is not against you. He is for you. And there ain't nothing you can do, the Bible says, to separate you from the love of God. You hear His voice. You open the door and He will come in. Come on, let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for this time that we have been in your presence. Lord, teach us, teach us in these moments, God, to surrender.
surrender our situation, to surrender our pride to you, to surrender our trust issues to you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I feel like telling somebody that when you're ready to quit, when you're ready to give up, when you're ready to throw in the towel, you need to remember that it takes a death to have a resurrection. It takes pain to have progress, and it takes hurt to have healing. So if you're going through the pain, you're on track in your progress. If you're going through some hurt, then healing is on the way. If you feel like death right now, then a resurrection is coming to your house. And I want to pray over your kids. I want to pray over you and your marriage and everything about you and every facet of you that God would pour out his blessings on you. God, we just come to you right now, Father. God, thanking you for your presence in this place, Lord. God, thanking you for showing us, Lord. God, that unless we learn to let those that you have sent to us love us, like you love us, Father, and let people in that you have brought to us. God, that we can't be as effective as you want us to be. God, and you have called us to make disciples of every creature, of every people group, of every nation, of every tongue and every tribe, even the people that sit next to us at work, Lord. God, even the people that used to be our friends, God, you still called us to reach them. But Lord, I just pray, Father, that if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that can't hear your voice because they're chasing every other voice around them, God, I pray that you just speak right into their heart right now because God your voice is the only one that can bring us victory God your voice is the only one that can bring value to our life so Lord I just pray God God that if there's a heart that's full of sin Lord that it would just begin to surrender to you to just begin to say Lord I can't do this the way I've always been doing it I need a relationship with you. I've got to have a relationship with you before I leave today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if you're here, if you say, Shane, I need to know Jesus. I can't go another second of my life without experiencing the kind of love that you were talking about today. I want someone to love me unconditionally, regardless of my past, regardless of my mistakes. I'm going to make room. I'm going to make room right now. Come on, just begin to tell the Lord. Just say, Lord, I'm making room for you in my life. I'm making room for you right now. And as you're making room, I want to lead you through a prayer. There's nothing significant or special or, or powerful.
powerful about what I want you to pray. It's just my way of helping you take your next step in becoming a child of God. To accepting this unconditional love that he has for us. So if that's you, if you say, Shane, that's me. You're either making this commitment to Christ for the first time or you're rededicating your life because some things that kind of got you off the path. Today is the day of salvation, the Lord says. Today is the day of new beginnings. Today is the day that everything is wiped clean and starts over in your life. So if that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. And the whole church, we're going to pray it together. But I want you to pray it like you mean it. Because today is your day. Today is the day that the devil releases his hands from your life. Today is the day that death and sin release the grip they have had on you for so long. Today is the day that you get set free. Because the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So just pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear God in heaven, I come to you right now confessing my sin. You know me more than I know myself. I need you in my life. Come into my heart. Take away my sin and make me new again in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Come on. Give God a shout of praise in this place. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Verb Church Podcast. We would love to help you take your next steps. If you made a decision to follow Christ, would like to be baptized, or are ready to connect with us, head over to myverb.church forward slash next steps and fill out our digital connect card. Our team will follow up and help you guide you on your journey with Christ.